0: Bunkmates, written by Grace Berry and performed by Claire Scavone.
1: i just wanted to chat i was thinking maybe we could talk about our crushes do you have a crush on anyone i definitely don't have a crush on anyone because if i did then jared would probably get super mad at me not in a a jealous way he just like he's super protective over me we're truly just best friends anyway i had this idea earlier that i really think i i feel i believe that we should do one thing for the lip sync battle because, like, okay, so, like, everyone will expect us to do What Makes You Beautiful, because obviously we are, like, known as the main 1D cabin. But one thing is just a lot more unexpected, and plus Liam gets the most verses on that one, and I just feel like it's a beautiful tribute to him, and it's important to celebrate his life. Because, as you know, Jenny P. read online that he had a botched circumcision and might not have, like, that long to live, or at least not that long to have sex. And... Huh? Um, I'd prefer if you didn't take a sip, actually this water bottle is kind of like, I don't want to say holy, but it is important that only I can ever drink from it. So yes, it's sort of like a religion that I made up, but you can waterfall from it. Don't choke. I I don't know how to do CPR. Well, I had to do the training for my first aid badge, but I didn't want to have my first kiss with a CPR dummy. So I just faked it. Have you had your first kiss yet? Yeah, no, I think the only girl in our cabin who has is Heather. And she's like, (laughs) I mean, let's just say it doesn't surprise me. She can't hear us, don't worry. She seems like a baby, that girl. I feel like once you make your sexual debut and you find inner peace and you can just sleep forever and ever, and I think that's why I have so much trouble falling asleep at night because I still feel like, like, I wear a training bra, but I'm still mostly a kid, you know what I mean? And I feel that in so many ways I am becoming the woman I am meant to be, but it's like, when did that start, you know? Like, I remember we went to Chevy's for my 12th birthday, and suddenly the entire kid's menu was inaccessible to me. Like, just because I had turned 12, I don't want chicken fingers anymore. And I had to get a sizzling fajita platter, like someone who works a 9-to-5, and I didn't even eat it. I didn't know that childhood legally ended on your 12th birthday. I mean, nobody told me. And I'm, I'm so excited to go to high school and get kissed for real and be in a co-ed musical and get my learner's permit. But at the same time, like, like, mm. like when my family came to visit last week, we went to the beach. And you know how when you swim in lake water, you have to put sunscreen on your whole entire body or you'll get swimmers itch from the ducks. Yeah. My stepdad used to be in charge of putting sunscreen on all his kids and he was so good at making sure it was on my elbows and the back of my neck and places I can't reach. But this time my mom said I needed to put all the sunscreen on by myself because I was too big to have him help me. And I just don't think I did a very good job because now I'm itchy on my elbows and the back of my neck and the backs of my knees and also all over I feel itchy all over my body all the time and it feels like my bones are growing faster than my skin and it's stretching and it itches and it hurts and I have stretch marks on my hip bones now which is upsetting for Many reasons. One day I woke up and my center of gravity was completely different. Like like you spend your whole life with your shoulders wider than your hips, and you spend your whole life being like this is how wide my body is. And then one morning you're walking to the bathroom and your hip bumps in your desk chair and it hurts. And I feel like nobody talks about that. Everybody talks about growing up and becoming a teenager and then becoming an adult and, and how it's the best and how we can't wait to grow up and I can't wait to grow up. I I mean that. I just I didn't think I realized that you can't ever grow back down you can't ever like Ethan is almost six and he's getting bigger and bigger every day and my mom used to carry him everywhere and now she only picks him up when it's like an emergency or if he's asleep and she obviously doesn't carry me around at all anymore because I'm not a baby but I know that at one point that was like my main way of getting around and it's weird to think that one day she picked me up and put me down and then never picked me back up again and probably neither of us even clocked it at the time nobody has given me a bath in years I don't know when that stopped. And I used to wake up on summer mornings and hear those birds, those birds that sound really sad. I thought they were owls or loons or something really interesting, but it turns out they're just called morning doves. Not, not morning like you hear them in the morning, but morning, like mourning over the dead. And I don't hear them anymore. And I think they stopped coming when I found out they were called morning doves. Or maybe they just stopped coming because of climate change. Or because we moved over two blocks and they don't live in my new neighborhood. I don't know. Probably there is a more logical explanation for it. But it feels like the chicken fingers or the sunscreen or anything else that stops showing up once you're big enough to sit in the front seat. Do you know the birds I'm talking about? do you hear them anymore? Sometimes I stay up at night and wait for the sun to rise to make sure I didn't miss it and nothing. And I wait all year for it to be summer and for them to come back, but they haven't yet. I love summer, but sometimes I think what I love is summer three years ago when it was the same. Every time. I filled up this water bottle with water from the fridge filter at my old house before we moved, which I I know that sounds gross, but I add new water to it all the time too. But there's still some molecules of the old water mixed in. And you know, (laughs) I learned in school that water is one of the only things that can never be created or destroyed. Like all the water that's in circulation was the same water we had a billion years ago. So every time you drink water, it could be the same water that like Julius Caesar or Marie Antoinette or Shailene Woodley drank and I like to think that about that when I'm swimming in the lake or taking a shower. Like, maybe the water we swim in is the same water that was in my bathtub when I was a baby. Maybe one morning when I was four, I woke up and drank a glass of water out of my favorite cup, and now that water is what I use to brush my teeth. But the water in this bottle is still the same water from my old house or some of it, and I, I don't want it to change into something else. I want to keep it just for me. And I feel like once the water runs out something terrible... going to happen i'm not sure what exactly but as long as i can keep drinking it i can stay attached to that house and my bed and the birds outside my window and it will always feel the same does that make sense do you ever think about things like that hello are you still That's okay. You get some sleep. We'll talk tomorrow. You're the best friend I ever had.
2: to The Chef's Chef's Monologue, Monologue, a podcast where we, your hosts, Phil Kenner
0: and me, Michael Wilder-Frizzell, invite our favorite writers to cook up an original short monologue based on a recipe that we provide.
2: Then we interview those incredible writers about their process, thoughts on theater, film, TV, etc., and deliver it directly into your
0: hungry ears. We are so happy to have on our show today the incredible Grace Berry. Hello Grace.
3: Hi I'm overjoyed to be here.
0: We just heard your incredible monologue
2: Bunkmates performed by the one the only Claire Scavone.
3: The only the inimitable.
2: (laughs) Claire Scavone you and Claire have worked together before.
3: We have worked together before. She was in a reading of a play that I wrote uh, a year ago and then I cast her in the first production of this play this past December. She's one of my favorite actors and my favorite people.
2: What was the play you produced this winter?
3: It was called Round Yon Virgin. um, And it was a play that I wrote in our MFA program about kids putting on a Christmas pageant. Mm -hmm. Um, The way I phrase it is always like it's a play about kids, but not a play for kids. Lots Mm -hmm. of swearing and sex talk. Um, And Claire did an incredible performance as a young girl who cannot control her volume due to the emotional neglect she faces at her parents' hands. Oh,
0: <laughs> lovely. <laughs> but sort of existing in the same universe as this monologue. Very sense.
3: much so, which is why I thought of her for it. Um, I really, as soon as it was written, I was like, well, I have to ask Claire Scavone because who else could de- like deliver such like a tender and manic teenage girl?
0: Mm-hmm. What was it like writing this monologue?
3: Well, it was sort of stressful. Do you want me to start like the beginning of like the process? Sure. So I wrote this monologue in the same way that I write everything, which is that I procrastinate and procrastinate and procrastinate in a method that I call marinating, which kind of ties into like our whole cooking metaphor, um, which is that like I get the recipe from you guys and I like started a Google Doc and like wrote down some notes and ideas that I had and then I didn't write anything but just thought about it for several weeks and then I got a reminder that I needed to actually write it and then I sat down and wrote it in about an hour and then sent it over and then made edits and yeah i mean for me it's like mostly i always write character first so i think of the character and then think of what they have to say um and in this case i i, I knew based on the, the recipe pieces that i got that i wanted it to be at camp and i wanted it to be a young girl and once i started thinking okay who is this young girl what's she thinking about i like had some thoughts about what she might be feeling then i kind of went from there
2: cool do you feel like when you sit down to write a new character? what are some of the first things you think of where they live, what they look like, what they've been through?
3: Well, the first thing I usually think about is exactly how old they are um, and exactly what year they're living in. Cause that gives me a lot of like context um, for who they are. And then I often think about, yeah, who their family is, what their day to day is like. I like to know the minutia of all of my characters before I write them. Sometimes I think about like, what their astrological big three might be or I think Mm -hmm. about what their favorite foods might be or I think Mm -hmm. about like what they're afraid of and what they want which is like Mm -hmm. the actual correct writing answer Mm -hmm. but I also like to think about their like small details I think that's very fun
2: right I think, that's, I think it's funny that you mentioned the wanting there and then call that quote like correct writing. I think so often in our lives we have no idea what we want or right. what we're doing. We just know that we have had the lives that we've had and I'm going to wake up today and I want this to eat and I want to go to this place but I don't know what I want on an existential level. Mm-hmm. So I think one of my favorite things about your writing more generally and then about this monologue specifically is like the sheer degree of specificity like the stepdad putting the lotion on mm-hmm. and the morning doves and the oh this water bottle has a little bit of the water from my old house and like that is so fully drawn and i wonder does that come from as you describe it the Mm -hmm. marinating
3: yeah i mean (laughs) it's the marinating and that's also how i think about my own life like when i think about my memories of childhood they're often really not uh wide scale they're very very minute Mm. um and i don't know if that's just like a brain deficiency that i have but when i think about like childhood i think about like the smell of my mom's car and, like, the color of my hairbrush. And, like, I'm not as good at remembering, like, what year things happened or, like, what the big events were. Like, that kind of stuff just all kind of, like – because I think that stuff lives with you every day. And I think that, like, to recall specific memories, like, recalling detail is really important. And I'm somebody who places a lot of emphasis, I think, on detail in, like, all areas of my life, for better or for worse – Um, Because sometimes it can be can get me away from the point, but I think that I, yeah, and and I've spent so much time too doing things like I don't know, like playing The Sims or like when I was a little kid, I used to play with Barbies, and I was like really obsessed with like the minutia of it and like the lore of the Barbies and like their relationships to each other and like what their favorite colors were and like shit that you like don't actually have to think about when you are playing with Barbies. But I was like, I don't know, for me, specificity is like the joy of life and is what makes things colorful. And full and fun. Um, Because, like, I I also think things are a lot funnier when they're specific. Um, Like, to me, like, saying, like, oh, I played with Barbies as a kid is, like, okay. But for me to say, like, they all had specific families and backstories. And when I put them away in the attic, I made sure they were all – sleeping eternally like with their families is like very funny oh My God,
2: <laughs>
0: because that's specific is that based oh on a true story or?
2: I don't know Mike like, <laughs> <laughs> of course it is you like you very intentionally laid them to rest, to rest. yes <laughs> oh my
3: god but you want them to be away from their parents but the problem was though um I only had one Ken doll, so he had many families. <laughs> oh, no. Um, there I was a polyamory. There was ethical non-monogamy <laughs> in the Barbies. But the thing was, actually, he he played many different characters. So, mm. you know, it wasn't really like it was the same Ken character mm-hmm. cheating. Mm-hmm. It was like he had different names. He had different backstories. Like, they mm-hmm. met in different ways. But he, but he had multiple lives, basically. Multiple lives, yeah. He had, lives, he had yeah. from his real family. Totally. Um, sort of <clears> like, <throat> I was going to say Orphan Black, but that's actually the exact opposite of what I'm talking <clears> about. So, <throat> never mind. No should... example given. <laughs>
0: I mean this is this is sort of another thing that you know it's so it's always so delightful to talk to you because you're so smart and you have this ability to like contain and hold these universes i think of like in terms of like pop culture like you mm-hmm. are so steeped in kind of minutia isn't the wrong is sort of the wrong word because it's like very meaning but i think of like n- like maybe non mainstream pop mm-hmm. culture would you say like that you i'm a, plugged
3: in yeah in a way that's like so
0: <laughs> delightful to always talk to you because it's like oh you know i can i can find myself having conversations about things that i would never have thought about um or like engaged with in a way yeah. that like I don't know there's and there's sort of this delight in the way that you like bring that up in your work as well where it's like you know i think about obviously in this monologue one direction is like very mainstream right but it's like the fact that there's a joke at the expense of a botched circumcision is like it's so funny to me yeah Um, surprising and delightful
3: well and to me that specific joke was like funny because i actually don't know anything about one direction one of the things that i think is like at odds with my personal brand is that like i don't care about harry styles um (laughs) which you would think that i would based on like the other media i consume but i just don't i mean i think he's fine um but i was never plugged into one direction and so for me that's why it seemed like the more obvious boy band to cite because if i included anything i actually knew details about i would have to be like exact about it Mm -hmm. be correct about it and Mm -hmm. i was like i just want to make a joke like i don't want it to be like historically accurate i don't need data for this mm-hmm. um i love it when i don't have to google something and i was just like i'm making this up right and so that's where we landed <laughs> making <it up. laughs> i'm making it up
2: i'm flying off the seat of my pants <laughs>
3: yeah and i knew that claire is a really big one direction fan so i was worried she was going to fact check me but it was fine but the thing is that joke also was meant to be sort of like the the botched circumcision is like the kind of thing we like read on the internet in 20- 2008, mm-hmm. right. like it just wasn't true. Mm-hmm. The thing that I was worried about getting fact checked on was like her. She says like Liam has the most verses on that song. And that's not. That's not a fact. Could be true. <laughs> One Direction <laughs> fans listening,
0: do not come after do us.
3: Do not come
2: after us. No. <laughs> right. Yes, yeah, our huge One Direction fan base.
3: There's probably a lot of overlap, but I'm two sure listeners. there is. I don't <clears throat> know.
0: Instagram
2: is convinced. What? So Instagram turned me into a Harry Styles fan. I always thought he was lovely and fine and yeah. good for Harry. He great life. And Instagram was like you're gay, right? <laughs> you want to see. Are you gay? Um, only for attention. The um, Yeah. Instagram was like, look at this, look at this man in his mm-hmm. beautiful glittery outfits and these tight pants. And those pants fit really well, don't they, Philip? And I was like, yeah, they do. <laughs> and then it kept showing me because of course you look at it and Instagram right. knows and they kept showing it to me and it literally turned me into a Harry Styles yeah. fan and now I'm obsessed. Like now now i am i worship at the church of harry styles
3: that's so funny my instagram is very like well you like taylor swift and you like phoebe bridgers and you watch reality tv and based on that data here are harry styles videos and i have to be like i don't give a fuck about harry styles sorry not in a hater way just like i will not plug into the harry styles universe
2: right What are some of your Instagram ads that you get a lot?
3: Oh, I get a lot of um, pregnancy announcements from influencers I've never heard of. That's actually mostly what I get. (laughs) Um, I had a friend who recently posted on his story and was like, everyone send me a screenshot of your explore page. And I was like, that's so funny. Like, let me look at mine. And the ones people were sending in were always like really niche. They were like all Harry Styles or all photography or all like a celebrity. And I looked at mine and it was like, mormon influencer pregnancy announcements and like vintage home resale which are not sense. are not things that i'm not interested in like i'm very interested in vintage homes and that stuff but like i would get like influencers i'd never heard of named like mckinsey utah and she'd be like here's my fourth child and i was like who are you why are you getting targeted to me but i do actually spend a fair amount of time looking up like mormon influencers just because i'm curious and once i like look at them like i'll look at more and i think that's what instagram does it like tracks my eyeballs and is like Oh, yeah. You love to look at blonde girls who are twenty and having their fourth <laughs> kid. Um, oh no disrespect to the Mormon influencer culture.
2: <laughs> um, I'm curious what was a piece of teenage media that you watched that inspired you deeply? And as a reminder, there's no such thing as cringe on the chef's totally. log. So,
3: well, give it to you know, us. it's interesting. I was thinking about this question on the way over here because I was like. I know that I consumed so much media as a teenager and I know that it influenced me but I like really couldn't think of examples. I was I was talking to, I texted my high school best friend who's still my best friend and I was like, what media did we consume in high school? And she was like, I can't think of one. She was like, did we see a movie? And I was like, we must have. But like, what movie? <laughs> At least one. There was a lot of, like, I mean, I watched all the popular shows. I watched Gossip Girl and I watched Glee. But I, when I think about like, the media I consumed then that is staying with me I unfortunately am going to cite a book do it which I know is not like the sexy answer no um, there's a book called a tree grows in Brooklyn by Betty Smith that was nice. written in the 40s and I had to read it for the first time in middle school and everyone I remember in seventh grade everyone was like this book is boring and I was like this book has changed my life and shaped my brain um, and I have read it at least once a year every year since I was 13 Um, I have three copies of it in my apartment currently Um, I think it's such an important book and such an important piece. And what it is, is basically, it's like a coming of age story. There's very little plot. It's a character novel written about um, a young girl who lives in Brooklyn at the turn of the century. And she starts the book at eight years old and ends when she's 18. And during the course of the book, she expresses so many feelings and thoughts that I had at that age that I'd never heard anyone else express about like her body changing and like the world changing and like feeling like she was too adult and too childlike at the same time. And like, there's all these really interesting and well-drawn characters in that book. There's like her parents and their families and like her brother and her boyfriend eventually. And I've always felt like every time I read it, I like find something new and I relate to some new character in a different way. Like I used to really relate to her and now I relate more to her mom or her aunt, like the older women. Um, And that is, to me, like the most formative piece of media in actually my whole life, Mm. which is crazy because most of the media I consume is like Vanderpump Rules and like, I don't know, like random Instagram videos. Like all All I do is watch TikTok and like let my brain rot. But I have read one book, and I've read <laughs> <of> it. <laughs> At least one At book. At least one book. I do know how to read, and that, to me, is, like, my most formative media piece. And I read it a lot in high school. And apparently would talk about it a lot, which my friend said to me over text. She was like, what about a true ghost in Brooklyn? You used to talk about that all the time. And I was like, that's annoying of me. But oh, that's uh, so sweet. seems on brand for my high school self who wanted to seem smart.
0: And it's because of the truth expressed in the, the character. Yeah, the but... truth. And
3: it's just, like, to me, I've never had that experience watching or reading anything else where I read it and felt like this came from my own brain. Mm -hmm. Uh It's so me. And I don't know if it's universal, but to me, the way that that character formulates thoughts is like exactly how I do. And Mm -hmm. it was really cool to read that Mm because I'd never really seen that depicted. Mm
2: -hmm. And that's what I love about, that's what I love. That's what I love about your writing so much is that I feel myself tracking the thoughts with the characters and especially what Claire just read in Bunkmates, like the way that it moves from detail to gossip to detail to like true existential dread mm-hmm. and then like back to growing up like it just it 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 follows this pattern where it goes like on surface level stuff on gossip and then it goes really deep and i think that that is Such a wonderful way of representing how we as people think because we're not always thinking about service level stuff, but we're not, we're also not always thinking about deep stuff. Sometimes I I am on TikTok and I'm just scrolling and I'm Mm -hmm. like, that was funny, haha, that was funny, haha, that was funny, haha. Like, that's sometimes Mm -hmm. my brain is just that.
3: Yeah, no, totally. And I think that, like, the other piece of the puzzle that I have yet to get good at articulating is that, like, I have ADHD that went undiagnosed till I was like 27. Um, And I think that that, the way that most of my characters talk is the way that I talked and still talk sometimes, where, like, they are just talking and, like, learning things through the process of talking. Like, when I'm alone, I, like, talk to myself so much. Like, you know, like, you ask me a question, and, like, 10 minutes later, I'm talking about anything else. And, like, I don't know, like, (laughs) when it all stops. But what I had to get really good at as a coping mechanism was retracing my own thoughts. So I'm very practiced at this point of, like, Getting to a totally other point of conversation and having to go, okay, step by step, how did I originally get here? What was the first thought? I needed to solve another problem and I missed the turn and like I gotta go back. But in having to like analyze my own monologues so often, I feel like I've gotten pretty good at like writing that type of thing where you're like, because that is how most of us talk. We're like, ha ha ha, like I love TV, I love music. Will I ever truly know another person? Like you know what I mean? like that really is how oh my, my brain works. Um
2: Will I ever truly know another person? I don't person. know.
3: Or whatever thought you're having that day about like, I don't know. Oh, it's priceless.
2: I think that um when we approach characters, it's like we feel like we have to like we were talking about before come up with some sort of arc or like what do Mm -hmm. they want and it's like sometimes sometimes we just want to talk yeah Mm -hmm. sometimes we we just want to say stuff and then we'll figure it out and i think that is genuinely shakespearean because that's Mm -hmm. something you learn when you study shakespeare acting is Mm -hmm. like they don't there's no machinations happening behind their eyes they're thinking out loud like you have to trace all the thoughts out loud and that's what you do in your writing. The people are thinking out loud. And in Round yon Virgin, for example, all those individual monologues are both them presenting themselves to the audience but also them telling themselves who they are mm-hmm. and figuring that out live in front of us.
3: Right. You know what is so funny is when I like was tasked with writing this monologue, you know how like you like everyone has like weird mythologies they make up about themselves that aren't true Mm -hmm. i like went into this being like i don't know how to write monologues and i'm bad at it and i've never done it before and then i like remembered that i wrote an entire play that is just monologues and i had like forgotten that data point about myself like i was like i don't know how to do this i've like never written a monologue since i was in high school and then i was like wait a minute that's not true at all it's actually the opposite of true um, I don't know. But it's like we all have ideas about what our talents and abilities are. And a lot of times I think that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Like there are mm-hmm. things that I think that I'm good at that I'm not. And there are things that I think that I'm bad at that I'm good at. Mm-hmm. And there are things that I think that I don't know how to do. And then I do them and I'm like, oh, yeah, right. I don't know.
0: That, to me, that, that strikes to me is like, is that like a – uh, does that happen – in this sort of transition period from being a kid to being an adult. And like because what this monologue is I think is so one of the things that I love so much is like is that kind of feeling of like oh wait, I I can't order off the kids menu anymore. There's just yeah. th- these facts about myself that I knew that was the only thing that sort of made up who I am, but now actually the world is telling me that I'm something totally different.
3: Right. I mean, I think that as you go through your life, you like learn things that are true about yourself and some of those things can't be true forever. Like, you know what i mean mm. like the things that i loved doing when i was eight i can't love anymore because my brain has developed past the point of enjoying them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know which is also like sad and i think that like when i started writing this monologue i was thinking like because when i got the recipe can i talk about this yeah the things that i got which were like sunscreen itching like boy band i immediately was like camp this is summer camp like it's never going to be anything else um but i had to decide do i want to write a teenager or a kid and i was like you know I, I don't spend a lot of time in like the 13 zone so let's go there because to me that is like such a time of inner monologue and horror i feel like at that moment in time you're like there's such an eagerness to grow up there's such an eagerness to mature oh yes. i remember feeling a desperation to do adult things and to do teenage things mm-hmm. but at the same time you are not not a child um but you sort of have to launch out of childhood i think For me, it was earlier than I was really ready to. Mm. I remember just, like, watching my little sister do things that I, like, could no longer or, like, would no longer do. And I was like, huh, I kind of liked that stuff. And it's now no longer accessible to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then at the same time, you're enduring this, like, horrible alien invasion of, like, your body changing, which, like, to me was (sighs) very stressful. Mm -hmm. And it's like puberty and growing up, it's like it starts and it, like, never really stops. Like... Amen. And, like, you, can't, there's no way to stop the clock. It's, like, once you start shaving your legs, you, like, can't ever go back. Like, you can't ever have not shaved them before. Mm-hmm. Like, once you, like, get your period, like, you can never go back to, like, not knowing how tampons work. Like, because you know. And, mm-hmm. like, and, like that will never change your whole life. And there's things that like that that come later and are still coming now, but there are so many of them in right. such a short period of time at that age. Um, and I feel like there's not, like, that much focus on that. Um, like we all know that puberty is like awkward and funny but it also is like very sad and very I think traumatic in a lot of ways oh yeah well, um, and
0: yeah and there's also I mean the tragedy of I mean, what you just said is like um, you know desperately being 13 or 12 or 13 and like wanting to be old and then yeah. like now that we're all older looking back and be like why like you know
3: like, right. there, like there's like you're an adult for most of your life right like <laughs> and you're a kid for such a short period of time right um, I do think though
2: there is this thing and this is Yeah, like, I still love playing Pokemon, and I still love Mm. to just, like, veg out on a video game for, like, three uninterrupted hours, Mm -hmm. but now it's almost like I have to collaborate with that kid who wants that thing as an adult, (laughs) and it's not about denying that kid that thing or giving the kid free reign, it's being, it's like putting the fence up and being like, okay... I'm an adult now, so I can build the structure around this activity, but right. I am now going to, in a way, schedule mm-hmm. three hours to mm-hmm. lose myself in this thing. <laughs> yeah. And that's a wonderful thing, I think. Because I think also as a kid, like you don't know balance, you don't know right. boundaries, and you can do too much good stuff. Like right. you can actually go too far. You can eat too much sugar and then feel sick. Right. right. You, you can, can cut, play you too much video games twelve hours feel straight. Fatigued. Right. Yeah.
3: Right. And it's interesting because when you're a kid, you have adults whose job is regulating you. And as an adult, uh, you don't have that, but your brain does it for you, which is cool, but it's also kind of sad. I remember when I got to college and I was like 18, I went to like CVS and the, and I passed by like the candy aisle. And I was like, you know, what's crazy. I was like, I got a debit card in my pocket and I could buy anything I wanted, but I don't want to buy a bag of candy because I'm not a child anymore. Right. And I had no interest. Right. And that happens now is it's like, I'm like, if I, if I wanted to, I could do all the things I wanted to do when I was a kid. I could like take the day off and go to an amusement park, but like. I, I don't really feel compelled to do that which is sort of sad and also sort of cool because it's like oh my brain like works now right <laughs> um but it is interesting i mean it's like i spend so much time working with kids i used to be a nanny and i worked in child care and i still have you know friends with kids and i'm around them a lot and it's like my whole job is like enforcing adult practices on them for their own good like right. i can't if they're like i want to eat 10 cookies i can't be like go for it, girl. I have to be like, no, you'll like, you'll get sick. And right. I know that because I have Pop my frontal lobe and you don't. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: How do you feel that your time in childcare, because that's such a, I'm going to answer your question for you before <laughs> I even ask it, which is so silly, but like working with kids and with parents, mm-hmm. right? When you're a nanny, you're dealing with both, right. both teams. You're sort of like in between. How do you feel like that affects your writing?
3: Oh, I mean I think it affects like it from really every angle. All I really write about is like kids and parents. Mm-hmm. I have written a couple things that are outside of that, but that's kind of at the heart of most of it because that was my life for so long and I think that oh. like working as a nanny especially which is such an intimate look at someone's life, like I was really having a front row seat to like a marriage and mm-hmm. a family that wasn't my own, which is like sort of strange you know i think that a lot of people underestimate their kids and i think that people also overestimate their kids in ways like children are not small adults and i think that before you spend a lot of time with children you kind of think that they are mm-hmm. like i see people who don't have kids being like oh that kid's having a tantrum and barnes and noble why can't their mom control them and it's like have you like taken care of a kid for more than two hours like it's <laughs> you can't control them and it's because like you learn like When they're at that age, like it's they have all these neural networks that are opening and they have no vocabulary to express their emotions and they do not have the tools that adults have to express themselves and to say, This is why I'm upset and this is what I want you to do. Like they don't know. They don't even know what they want. They just want to scream because they're like, are upset. Um, And once you understand that, taking care of kids gets a lot easier. Um, But at the same time, it sort of is is sad because like you'll see a kid having a problem and you're like, I understand why you're having this problem. It's because your brain isn't there. But like, I can't tell you that because you don't know what that means. You don't know that you have a brain. Mm.
2: And it wouldn't Um, help even if you could know.
3: Right. And also, kids are, like, hilarious. Like, they really say, like, the absolute funniest things, which I know is, like, whatever, an expression. Kids say the darndest things or whatever. But, like, they really do. They say things that are also, like, sometimes profound. One time I was babysitting this little boy who was maybe, like, two. He, like, just got his language capacity. And we were eating peanuts in the shells. Couldn't tell you why. And he, like, holds them out and he just goes, just think, no one has ever seen inside this peanut before. And I was, like... (laughs) Like, that is so true. You know what I mean? Damn, from I was plan. like, no one's ever think. I was like, I've never thought about that before. Like, wow. Um, and it was very impressive. Um, but anyway, I think that kids are really funny, and there's a lot of real richness to them. And especially, I love writing about teenagers because the the barrier to emotion is so low. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, the threshold is so low. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say, like, I wish I cared about anything now as much as I cared about everything when I was 15. Mm-hmm. Like at that age, because crazy things are happening to you hormonally and neurally and also you have zero life experience and so everything that happens to you is like the worst thing that's ever happened and I felt emotions so intensely at that age and that to me is really rich for writing because teenagers don't have to be logical they don't have to inhibit their emotions like they can come out and be like oh, my God, the boy, like, kissed another girl. And it feels the equivalent of, like, an adult experiencing the death of their entire family. Mm-hmm. Because, like, it does, <laughs> like, chemically. Like, it's, you know, it feels like the same thing. Right. Um, Whereas if you gave an adult character those problems, it would be like, shut up. Like,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm again, not to, not to keep saying it's, like, a tragedy, but there is something, I think, a sense of loss when I, like, mm-hmm. reflect on that, on the high stakes. And that, like, what you said, I mean, obviously having the girl and the, the, the boy in third period kiss your best friend yeah. is the end of the world. But, like, that kind of full experience mm-hmm. um of life as i think as you said as adults we sort of look back and like oh that was ridiculous but like th- that's why i think it uh, is such effective media and it's so engaging because right. it's like oh actually yeah that's what it means to feel alive to like like face an existential apocalyptic crisis um spurred on by really meaningless things in the grand scheme right. of things but like in many ways I think now we are sort of much more adjusted to life and we kind of go at a certain point you kind of plateau hopefully I mean hopefully Hopefully, but like yeah. (laughs) yeah you know and I think there's something sort of um I don't know sad about that a little bit
3: yeah I was really living when I was a teenager yeah like the circumstances of my life were incredibly uninteresting but like to me every day was like a new adventure and like I and I do miss that and I think that's a really fun thing to tap into when I'm writing Mm -hmm. Um, because like whatever teenager you're talking to I also have this whole thing where I'm like I really genuinely believe that every teenage girl is a genius and that like society beats it out of them Mm -hmm. Um, but teenage girls especially like love things so much and with such passion and like they get so ridiculed for it Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. the teenage girl who like made the Beatles famous but everyone's like haha like how stupid that they waited in line to see their favorite art you know Mm -hmm. Um, but those things make culture Mm -hmm. like that's like the biggest, cons- and this is not a data point, but that's like one of the biggest like consumer groups. Um, oh, is yeah. like teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like, to me, my like ultimate goal in life is to like create something that teenagers enjoy. Cause to mm-hmm. me, that's like such a compliment. Why, um, so why
0: do you think that they're so, you know, teenage girls or just mm-hmm. teenagers in general, yeah. are like are such, um, you know, yeah, loyal kind of rabid fans. Why do they love things so much?
3: Well, I think that it's like, first of all, it's like they haven't had shame fully beaten into them, which is like a really big thing but I think that also it's the first time that you get to develop your own taste mm-hmm. um, and I think that people at that age really cling to the things that they love because it's like their first experience of saying like I love this music not because it's what my dad plays in the cupboard because I found it and I picked it mm-hmm. and I love it and mm-hmm. it's like it also creates community they can talk to their friends about mm-hmm. it um, and I think it's sort of like your first foray into like learning things about yourself and that you like because when you're a kid i feel like your tastes are kind of mostly dictated by your environment not entirely but it was like i watched the same tv just my sisters did because that's right. like we all had to watch them right. um and then we, when we got older we started like really carving out our own interests mm-hmm. um and like forming our own personalities outside of like we are the children of these two people mm-hmm. and we all mm-hmm. live in this house and we're all kind of the same flavor <laughs> um but once you're a teenager you get to like pick out your own interests and i think that also at that age you have such a compulsion to try to like have an identity Mm -hmm, i rebranded so many times in high school mostly the same but i would be like today i'm like indie music like hipster girl then i'd be like next day i'm like theater starlet like you know like i was really trying to make a personality Mm -hmm. because like your your life is what makes your personality but at that age you have to kind of like make it from scratch
2: Mm -hmm. oh totally
3: yeah
0: Oh yeah, like define yourself as yeah the indie music girl or like yeah I, I'm trying to think of like yeah or like or you know I'm a sport I play soccer or something and I yeah. love soccer or, yeah. you know whatever the kind of activity or the external thing that like you sort of glom onto and be like you know
3: yeah because like I don't know like I really wanted other people to like perceive me in certain ways and that was like really important to me when of course none of us were perceiving each other at all and only thinking about ourselves <laughs> right. you yeah. know what I mean? oh like. my god that's right <laughs> yeah
2: well and there was also the like I. I feel like I had an extremely amorous teenage Mm -hmm. life. Like, I was falling in love all the time. Oh, yes. All the time with, like, with so many boys Mm -hmm. and for such different reasons. And the degree to which... And I don't think I was unique in this way, but the degree to which I would change... My my speaking patterns or interests based on what I thought these largely, almost entirely heterosexual teenage boys would want. And as a teenager, I was just like, I will do whatever it takes to get even an ounce of approval. I didn't have any legitimate fantasy that they would like me back in some way. But I was like, if they could at least just tell me that that was cool or funny, then like I will grow wings and fly.
3: (laughs) Something I am horrified to admit is that every year of high school, I had a different crush and the crush would last the entire year. And, like, my year was defined by that crush and how I changed my personality to meet that crush's needs. Mm-hmm. And I will say, like, all of those crushes, unfulfilled. Like, you know what I mean? They were not my boyfriends. <laughs> they were not boys who, like, maybe even know who I am now. They do. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but like, I would change my music tastes. Mm-hmm. I would, like, do certain things. I remember, like, um, one time this boy I had a crush on was, like, we were talking about music. And he was, like, oh, have you ever heard of this band called, like, Miniature? No, wait, he didn't say it. He was scrolling through his iPod, and I saw this band called Miniature Tigers, which, like, shut up. And they're a good band, but, like, whatever. And he asked me, like, what kind of music do you like? And I was, like, have you ever heard of Miniature Tigers? And he was, like, that's my favorite band. And I was, like, shut up, me too. Then I had to, like, go home and, like, listen to them because, like, I had never heard of them. And I was, like, if he asks me one follow-up, I'm dead. It's over. And he didn't. Um, And it was fine. And, like, my – well, like, one of my favorite artists – is Josh Ritter, who is this wonderful, wonderful singer and lyricist who Mike and I have in common. And I discovered him because a boy played me one of his songs in a car. And I um, I was like, this will now be my personality. But, like, I mean, it's the gift that keeps on giving because Mm -hmm. he is truly still, like, one of my favorite artists. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, like, that relationship has, like, long exceeded my crush, which is very cool. Um, And so I don't, like, I don't know. Those crushes led me to many wonderful self-discoveries, but also led me on many... uh, off roads that I didn't really need to explore because they were not actually congruent with my personality. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, what can you do? What can you do? What can you do.
2: And they're great stories. Yeah. I mean, I almost feel that now being in my mid-late 20s, I'm like, "Oh, this is a good story," or like, "Oh, I'm about to make a good story." Right. Mm-hmm.
3: A lot of things that happened in my teenagers were so funny, and I really buried a lot of them because I was humiliated, and then I remember them 10 years later and I'm like, "That's hilarious." <laughs> Right, because like, you
2: survive them, and you're you like, oh, they it. didn't render me unlovable or right. incapable of being in of community, course. like as at one point I thought they might. Those memories are actually hilarious because they turned out fine.
3: Yeah, once I actually had a boyfriend, it all was like, oh, haha, ha, this was just character building. <laughs> like, had, if, if if I at this point in my life still had never had a boyfriend, I would probably like still be burying it and like, you mm-hmm. know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I want to be really clear. I don't think that having a boyfriend gives you any validation, but like when I was 18, it did. Mm-hmm. You of know what course. I mean. Um, of course. I feel like that like unlocked to me a new level of like self acceptance. So I, I was like, oh, a boy likes me now. I'm fine, which I know is mm. like patriarchy, but. Mm-hmm. Eh.
0: Is there something about um as well? Like I, I think of like if if you didn't have that experience, you did if you weren't sort of validated by another person, sure. could could you could you find this a similar relationship to like oh I you know. I'm getting through my teenage years and I still love this artist or I still love this piece of media. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it it doesn't seem to my, like, it does seem like a different level. Like, I find, yeah. s- found somebody who validates me, but, like, can I find also find refuge in my books and my...
3: Right, and something that I also, like, love about my life journey is that there were a lot of things that I, like, consumed in high school that I was embarrassed of that I'm not anymore. Mm. Like, when I was in high school, I loved Taylor Swift, but mm. it, like, wasn't cool to like her, so mm-hmm. I, like, it was a secret. Mm-hmm. And now, I don't have a ticket to the tour because everyone's on board now and everyone wants to see the tour. And I'm like, where were you in 2016? It was a fight for my life in the group chat. Like, people hated her. And even when I was in high school, it was like, you know, it was just like it was mainstream. Like, it wasn't cool to listen to her music. But we all were. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. We, we all were. had Taylor on our iPods speak oh, now. Oh, yeah, we for me. Were. Um, But I have become a lot more comfortable with my own likes. And, you know, I used to, um, like, I love reality TV earnestly. And I used to really approach it with, like, a really thick frosting layer of irony, mm. I'd be like, I like reality TV, but like in a joking way, like in a way that makes me funny and cool. And now I'm like, no, I like it because it's like chemically designed to be entertaining to my brain and it's fine. Enjoying it doesn't make me stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. if anything, the reverse is true. <laughs> um, I recently like gave a speech to somebody about how like Vanderpump Rules is a show for geniuses only and you like can't understand it if you are stupid. And oh my God. I will not say that speech was like received the way I wanted it to be, but I'm glad that I made it because I, that is how I feel. You know what I mean? I'm like, you of have course. to have a certain amount of like psychological and social, social understanding to like get why those shows are amazing. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: it's like getting to watch the Stanford Prison Experiment for free. Literally throw and the
3: thing about that show in particular, and I'm going to go off, off topic for a second. It's yes, like do it. most reality shows and ones that I really enjoy too are like pretty easy to understand because they're like format. Um But the thing about Vanderpump Rules that makes it amazing is not the format of the show because it's not really interesting. It's like a Housewives spinoff. It's about a restaurant. Like, who cares? But the people on that show are so uniquely terrible. Each one of them is like a shining jewel with their own personality disorder. And, like, if you took any character, and I say character, you know, broadly. They're real people. If you took any of them out of that show and put them on, like, The Bachelor, they'd be, like, the villain by far. They'd be the standout. But there's, like... 15 of them on Vanderpump Rules and they all date each other and they all cheat on each other and they're all God's least favorite children and (laughs) you get to watch them make these like horrific decisions and every season starts out the first couple episodes where they're like this is the plot line and then like three episodes and it's like he got someone pregnant in Vegas because like (laughs) they're so unhinged that like they create their own stories because they're all such awful people I love it and anyway I've heard, the, I've heard
2: the recordings.
3: <laughs> I've heard the recordings. You deserve a rotten hail.
2: You deserve rotten and hail. Like that
3: was a real moment. That was like that was true. That was like a real life moment. Like people love to talk about how reality TV is fake, and a lot of the time it's like very produced. But like you can't fake that. All the people on that show want to be actors, and if they were that good of actors, they like wouldn't be on Vanderpump Rules. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like they they can't act. That's just who they are. And to me, that's like. A real gift to watch as somebody who loves to study people mm-hmm. yes. it's like really a crazy character study
2: there's <laughs> anyway. something wait I wanted to go back there's something in bunkmates mm-hmm. that we just touched on
3: One Direction what was it? no this is
2: buffering um, puberty the things that you like
3: oh I love. remember
2: what it was Start again <laughs> There's a the thing we talked about where when you were 18, you had a boyfriend for the first time. I had my first boyfriend right like a, a week before I turned 18. So I was 17 going on 18 and it does it feels like a switch flips and then you realize years later that that was not a switch flipping Mm -hmm. you were just like insane yes um (laughs) and it's in your monologue it's in bunkmates when the character is like oh when you have your as they say sexual debut (laughs) you suddenly achieve complete inner peace Mm -hmm. and that fantasy is so real and for a minute there you believe it you're like Mm -hmm. oh i got a boyfriend time now to experience inner peace and you like go to bed and you wake up the next day and you're like i have inner peace now Mm -hmm. and then very quickly you're Realize you don't have inner peace, and you're the most anxious you've ever been in your entire life. Because now you have something that, if you lost, you'd die. Right. So, like, I I, and I mean, that's that's true of queer relationships too. I had the Mm -hmm. fantasy that, like, oh, once I finally have at least a boyfriend, I'll be fine. And that was not true. It was extremely. My first boyfriend was wonderful, but I was, like, so anxious the whole time that I would fuck it up or something, right? Mm-hmm. So I did not, by any means, achieve inner peace by getting a boyfriend. But that
3: fantasy is so strong. Yeah, and I think that it's also, like, um, what was I going to say? Hang on. Give me one second. We can cut this out.
0: Inner peace, getting boyfriends. getting boyfriends, um, making
3: sexual debut. I had, like, a really good thought. contribute to the conversation hang on I'll get there
0: worrying it's gonna end worrying uh
3: oh yeah well I mean I think that when you like are growing up you have all these ideas about like benchmarks you're gonna reach and like what they're going to mean and then they like never do um and I remember having this feeling like when I was in high school and like I had some friends who were like starting to like have relationships and have sex and I was like they know something I don't Mm. And once I, like, started, like, having relationships, I very quickly realized, like, oh, I didn't, like, learn anything new from this. Like, I didn't, like, I mean, I learned things, certainly, but it wasn't like I was then, like, tuned into, like, a secret subculture. Because mm. you're really not. Um, and I think that, like, there's this expectation that once you, like, make your sexual debut, as they say, that, like, your life will be changed and you will, like, be more adult. But, like, you're not. The only thing that's different is, like, now you, like, know a couple more things about your own body. Maybe, like, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um And, like, when I – again, like, when I had my first boyfriend, who was totally lovely, it did not do what I wanted, which was, like, give me validation that I was, like, worthy of existing in society. Because Mm -hmm. for so long, like, so much media that you consume as a teenager is, like, if you're, like, pretty and interesting and smart, boys will like you. And so the message I got was, like, I must not be pretty or interesting or smart because, like, I'm not getting validation romantically, which is silly um but like as a teenager like it's a very like real like hurt to feel and to be like I feel like I'm not getting picked and I feel like I'm not Mm. getting what like Mm. my years of consuming romantic comedies has told me like will be true if I am like good enough is that like somebody will deem me good enough and that like you know then I will have achieved nirvana and like be a real person um and like when that happened it was like oh I was like oh having a boyfriend like actually does not make me pretty interesting or smart um right. like I have to get there on my own <laughs> It right. was like I have to start filling in my eyebrows and read a book like this is not going to come from like <laughs> oh my a boyfriend God.
2: I think we also <laughs> then as adults we like displace that feeling of I want to be picked on other things it mm-hmm. becomes a job or if you mm-hmm. are a playwright as the three people in this room are like the fellowship or right. the production mm-hmm. and it's like oh if only I could just get picked then then yeah. I would believe that I'm worthy yeah. of having friends loved ones and three meals a day mm-hmm. but actually know you deserve those things whether Mm -hmm. or not you just like wake up put on sweatpants and do nothing like you're actually you're worthy of that because you have eyes and can breathe Mm. totally but like we we externalize that picking onto other things and we like we have that teenage style attachment to other accomplishments I think
3: Mm mm-hmm no, definitely. I recently did not get into a like festival I had submitted for, and I had like a full moment of like, "Oh well, I guess I don't know how to write, and I probably should never do it again." And then I was like, <laughs> and then I was like, "No, Grace, like this is not correct." And I was like, "I don't know it's not how it works," and like, but it's like you can tell yourself that all you want, and you still have the moment of like, "Oh well, like somebody else isn't validating me, and like therefore I must have it wrong," right? Which is you know not good. But I I feel like I'm a lot better about that stuff now, even though yeah. it comes up. I'm a lot better at regulating and being like, that's not true. Like, that's like not, you have no data to support that. Mm-hmm. Whereas yes. when I was like 17, I was like, well, here's all the data I had to support the fact that like getting a boyfriend <laughs> is going to like heal my acne and like make me like a billion times smarter and I'll get into college if I have a boyfriend. You know what I mean? Like, right. things like really <laughs> do not make sense. Right. But I was like, well, this must be a fact.
2: Speaking of validation, I think this is a great moment to have you give someone else a little validation, which is maybe a ridiculous way of framing this next segment. (laughs) But I would be curious to know Mm -hmm. your one-minute stand. Are you ready? I was born ready. Okay. So without further ado, here is Grace Berry's one-minute stand.
3: Okay, my one-minute stand is for a comedian named Jane Wickline. That's W-I-C-K-L-I-N-E, Jane the normal way. She is uh, an actor, writer. I don't know how she would define herself, but she's on TikTok. And here's the thing. I'm on TikTok most of the day because my brain is, like, rotten to the core and full of cavities. Um, And there's so much comedy on TikTok that I would describe as, like, very medium. Like, some of it's really funny, but you get a lot of the same stuff. People do, like, character bits. They'll be, like, talking to the girl at a party who peaked in high school. And, like, they're funny, but, like, they're all kind of the same. And what Jane does is she does like what I would describe as sketches almost that are very character based. And what I love, love about her stuff is that like until the video is halfway through, I don't know what's going on. And that's true every single time. And every single time I'm like, Oh, this is the conceit of this sketch and half through, I'm like, I was wrong. Um, and like her ability to, to do that and to do it so well. And with such consistency is like so astonishing to me because like, again, like I've consumed a lot of really mediocre comedy and written a lot of really mediocre comedy in my, in my days. Um, And what she does so well is she like breaks the rule of like you know in improv they're like just say yes like yes and you're like oh she just has characters who just say no to each other like one example is like she has like a character who's like a time traveler who's trying to get back to present day and then the other person is like I have a coupon to this pizza store like do you want to (laughs) go and then like they keep just having different conversations and the time traveler is like I have to like like stop a, like murder from happening The person's like well you don't need cash for the coupon and it's like it's so that's like i'm not doing it justice but like they're all like that and they're all so funny and like i truly have like really never seen another comedian who produces so much work that is all that good and that surprising and i really can't recommend her stuff enough every time i see one of her videos i instantly like it and send it to 10 people before i've even watched it because i know it'll be just as good um they're hilarious can't recommend her enough jane wickline on tiktok Was that a minute? No
2: idea. Jane Wickline. Jane Wickline. Beautiful. We hear on the chef's monologue, never time the one minute stand. Oh, good. Who's to say how long that really was? No clip. But beautiful. Jane Wickham. Wickline. 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 Wow, I already messed it up. It's all good. (laughs) We're (laughs) We're going to probably cut that.
3: You'll find her.
0: Jane Wickline. Amazing. Thank you. We also have to do the bit, Grace, where you have to tell us your secret ingredient.
3: Okay, so the honest-to-God truth is I may have, like, done it wrong because I never really was clear on what The Secret Ingredient was supposed to be. So what I did was I listened to other episodes, and they all just were kind of random things. So that's right, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's whatever you want. I genuinely had no idea what to choose, and it was actually very stressful. So mine, which I think may have actually been a bad one, was – I included a, a bit of dialogue from an episode of Girls that I was watching at the Genius. time. So um, in season one of Girls, there's an episode where they all go to Bushwick to a warehouse party. It's one of the best episodes of TV there is. Um, it's called Welcome to Bushwick, a.k.a. The Crack-cident. Recommend it. And there's a character who accidentally does crack, and she <laughs> and she is ranting to somebody, and she goes, I think, I feel, I believe that I can move to the front of kickboxing class. And I was like, how funny would it be if I had to include the lines I think, I feel, I believe in like a monologue? And this was way before I even was like marinating on it because um, I was adding it to the ingredients list. And I was like, okay, I'm going to add that. And it ended up actually being like very easy to do. And it was in like the first two seconds of the monologue. So I don't know if I like, gave myself enough of a challenge. Um, but I like really wanted that snippet of dialogue to be in the monologue. So I think it's very funny.
2: That is a brilliant, brilliant secret ingredient. Oh,
3: thank you for the validation. <laughs>
2: listened to bunkmates by Grace Berry performed by Claire Scavon. The one and only. The one and only. Grace Berry, thank you. Thank you.